All right, how you guys doing? All right, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to delivering this message tonight, but before I get there, um, Pastor Gabe talked about the food bank, about how we're finally up and going and we've placed our first order and we're going on that. But I wanna, I wanna take just a second and emphasize that while I've got everybody's attention here. If we go through all the motions and we get set up with them and we have all of our logs and we have pickup routines and we've done all of our training and we do all these things and then we don't have an outlet for that, then it doesn't go for much, right? So let me explain to you the way that it works and we need your help. Is there anybody here who doesn't know someone who could benefit from some, and it's absolutely free, it's not reduced cost, it's free, food, paper products, baby food, diapers, you name it. If you can pick it up at King Supers other than medicines, you can probably get it here. And the way that this works is that you or they would come to us, you can tell us what you need. We can place an order, it's just like going to Costco or something, we place an order, we go down there and we pick it up. We bring it back here and then we can, we can deliver it to those people who need it or they can come by here and get it, okay? Now, some of these things, like I picked up a, a case of hamburger, so I've got like 40 pounds of frozen hamburger in the fridge right now, or in the freezer. If somebody needs that, we've got that, we've got giant tubs of ricotta cheese, big giant thing of Mexican cheese, we've got canned spaghetti and meatballs, canned tuna. I just got that just to have something back there but we need you guys, we need you to come to us. Now very soon we're gonna have volunteers, prayerfully that we're gonna have volunteers who are manning that and they'll be your point person. You go to them, you tell them what you need and they will handle it from there. But for now, let myself know, let Pastor Gabe know, who needs this stuff? We all know somebody who is in need, okay? We are an official partner agency of the Food Bank of the Rockies, which means we're gonna have signs up in the foyer, we've got one back here, People will be able to come in, whether they go to our church or not. And we need to be able to bless them. That's our heart, is to be able to bless them. Okay, there is no limit to how much food we can get. The only thing they place on us is a minimum, and we're already above the minimum, thanks to, to Ama. How many people know Ama? Ama picked up a pallet yesterday that was 900 pounds worth of food. I helped her shove it in the back of her, uh, of her car, and she went immediately down to deliver it to people who needed it. I felt with my poultry 70 pounds and a couple boxes and hamburger, it, but, but the point is, is that she's already being the hands and feet of Christ out and blessing people, and we can all do that too. I need you to bring me, either whether it's yourself, or bring me those people who need to be blessed, okay? And, and we can make it happen as a church together. All the wonderful things we do don't account for much if we don't utilize those tools, right? So please help me out. I just wanted to relay that heart. Again, we, we need you. So think of those people you know who could be blessed and let's, and let's get them hooked up, all right? Okay, so moving forward into Romans. Now we're, um, we're in Romans. We're going up to chapter 10 right now. Um, and I think it's been exciting. Romans has so much theology in it and so much really cool stuff. We're starting to get to some of the more familiar passages. We've talked about a lot of stuff that maybe people don't cover that much. But we're starting to get into kind of the meat of Romans, talk about some, some familiar uh, passages that you'll probably recognize. But I think God's got some more revelation for you, maybe ways that you haven't seen it before. 
at least a depth of understanding that you may not have had before. So before I get to that, though, I want to throw this out. At the end of the message, I want to try and reserve time for some testimonies, because I think testimonies are so incredibly powerful. I want you to start thinking about a time when you have shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody and helped to lead them to a revelation of who the Lord is, okay? You've helped to lead somebody to Christ. Start thinking about that, because that's what I want to talk about, and I'll give you a little context for that as we get a little bit closer. But start thinking about those, those, uh, those times and those testimonies because your testimony might be the thing that encourages somebody right where they need to be. So, so anyway, so keep that in mind. So last week, last week I talked about the idea of uh, foreknowledge. Okay, foreknowledge, predestiny, the elect, and how really sovereign God, sovereign Father God, says to us, you're the clay and I'm the potter, but if you're not turning out the way that I expect you to turn out through your choices, I reserve the right to make a different choice. That's a hard thing to swallow sometimes, especially think about if you are, uh, if you're a Jew back then when this was written. If you're a Jew now, again, he's talking to the church in Rome. So this is made up of Gentile believers and Jewish believers who had come to know Jesus, right? But the Jewish believer, not only was their heritage and what they'd been brought up in, in the law and, and in Jewish culture, but many of their family and their, and their friends and people like that, maybe they hadn't turned to Christ yet. So they've got, they've got quite a vested interest in what happens to the nation of Israel, it's not at the point where they're just saying, hey, Israel's dead to us. God has changed his mind. We don't care what happens to them anymore. Let's move forward. They're not in that place, and nor should they be in that place. Because the nation of Israel, they're God's children. They were God's original plan. Now, through their poor choices, again, sovereign Lord God has decided, okay, I need to I need to bring the Gentiles into this, and the Gentiles are now going to be my chosen vessel to carry the gospel of Jesus to the nations. But he hasn't forgotten about the nation of Israel. He hasn't forgotten about his original covenant. But the people in the audience that are listening to this, again, they might be thinking, but what about my family and friends? Great for us. We're, we're the new thing, and we're going forward in this, in this new covenant of faith what about my family and friends? This is where they are. But what we need to know, as I taught last week, as a loving father, even if you don't understand the reasons why he may do the things he does, we need to be able to trust his heart as a loving father and know in our hearts that a loving father is going to do everything within his power. He will make a way and he will do everything within his power. He'll be relentless in his pursuit of you and your heart. He will try to make a way. And the only thing stopping it is you and your decisions. But he'll give us every opportunity. He'll give us every opportunity. So we need to know that. So as we go into Romans chapter 10, here's where we are. Paul has explained this to them, but the audience has got to be thinking, look, look, if if the law doesn't bring salvation, if the law does not have the power to save, okay, which Paul said explicitly time and time again, the law does not have the power to save. And sovereign God has the right to revise his plan 
due to, the, due to whatever your actions are, in this case, the nation of Israel's actions, what hope do we have? What hope do we have of getting it right? What hope do we have of being grafted in and, and, and being able to live out this promise of salvation? Are we going to be cast aside as well? These are the things that are going through their mind, and this is what the Apostle Paul is answering as he talks to them in this chapter. Okay, so the very first thing he does is he opens up chapter 10 by letting them know, <coughs> excuse me, in no uncertain terms where his heart for Israel is. Because if you listened to him teach and you paid attention through the first section of Romans, you could be thinking that he's saying, forget about them. Turn your back on them, God has. You could think that, but that's not it. And Paul wants to clarify that. So the very first, very first verse in this, Romans 10, uh, Romans 10, 1, I'll just read it to you. Paul says, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, meaning the nation of Israel, is for their salvation. So he lays that right out front. My hope, my prayer to God is for the nation of Israel and for their salvation. That being said, then he goes into the rest of his discourse here in chapter 10. So in the next few verses, he goes on, he tells them, hey, the nation of Israel, they had a zeal for God. They had a, they had a real fervor and a drive for God, but they were misguided, okay? They can't accept the idea of righteousness by faith alone. It's just something that their minds can't get around because of their adherence and their following of the law. They cling to the law, and in fact, they even brag about how well they can follow the law, how well they uphold the law. They get in arguments amongst themselves on who's better at upholding the law. So they do all these things, but they've missed the whole point. They've really missed the entire point of what Jesus came to teach us. They missed it. And even before Jesus, all of the scriptures, the Holy Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, Holy Scriptures to them, was full of foreshadowing of a coming Messiah, but they missed it. So this is where he is. Moses had it right. He's not saying, hey, Moses is wrong. In fact, he's saying, hey, look, Moses, all the way generations ago, Moses had it right. And he reminds them, uh, Romans 10 Five to seven, we've got it up on the screen. I'll read it for you too. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Okay, remember when it's caps, he's quoting Old Testament scripture, right? Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will ascend into the, descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. What he's saying is, hey, righteousness isn't hard to attain. It's all around you. Righteousness is all around you. You don't have to go get it. You don't have to figure out how you're going to get up into heaven or go down into the abyss to bring it up. You don't have to figure it out. It's all around you. Even Moses is saying that. That's from Deuteronomy, by the way. But the problem is, is that proved to be impossible for the people of Israel to follow? That idea that it's all around you and you don't have to be working that hard for it was impossible for them to reconcile with the fact that we just got a whole bunch of law laid down to us 
And then we're trying to figure out how that plays into what you're saying here. In fact, Moses is saying, if, if, you, if your righteousness, if you practice righteousness based on the law, you're going to live by that. Sounds good. If you're back then, you'd go, okay, my righteousness is based on the law. I'll live by that because that's what he was teaching. He did not understand the fullness of what was being taught there. He had no context for it, so there's no way that he could have. But what we do know, again, it was impossible for them to fulfill this in the literal sense. So there's another way. Paul reminds them, or kind of helps them, to connect the dots here. We've got this, Romans 10, 8. Okay, it says, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. Again, that's teaching from Moses. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. The word of faith with which we are preaching says it's near you, it's in your mouth, it's in your heart. Moses taught that righteousness came from the word as he understood it to be. And as Moses understood the word to be was law. Because that's what was given to him. That's what he had. So his understanding, righteousness, comes from the law. That's where he is. And the more strict you are, the more righteous you are. That's their plan. But what he's talking about here, the word of faith, that's word small w, not large w, written on your hearts. Written on your hearts. So the key, the the secret key, if you will, to unlock the gifts of salvation and righteousness is written on your heart. It's inside of us. It's just waiting to be used. It's waiting to be unlocked and activated. So what does that lock look like? What does it take to open that lock? Anybody know? Does it look like this? Super complicated. Anybody know what that's called? It's called a cryptex. Cryptex. You see them in the Da Vinci Code. Anybody see the Da Vinci Code movies? It's all full of that kind of stuff. Okay, you can take that down. Point is, point is, it's not meant to be a secret. It's not meant to be difficult. It's not meant to be something that you got to get your eyes, you know, get a whole bunch of eyes on it and get everybody together and try and figure out how to do it. You're not diffusing a bomb. There's no Jeopardy clock playing in the background. It's not hard. It's not hard. In fact, the whole key to it, there's two steps. There's two steps to it. And Paul goes on to explain most of you are going to know this scripture. Most of you probably could recite this by heart. But I want you to listen to it and maybe have eyes to see it and ears to hear it in a different way than you ever have before. Romans 10.9. This is out of the American Standard Version, right? If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's two steps. Confess with your mouth believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. If you were, think about his audience again, new Gentiles coming in, Jewish convert, Jewish believers, okay, that was a mind grenade to them. My boys came up with that term, I love it, a mind grenade. Boom, right? Think about it. You were raised to believe that the law and the works that accompany it Your to-do list is what the path to righteousness is. The more you do, the better you do it, 
The more strictly you follow the letter of the law, the better chance you have. That's where they were. That was their mindset. And even the believers who had converted to know Christ still had this thought as their background. They're still struggling with that. And in Paul's absence, they had been teaching the Gentile side that very part of the law. So no matter what your background was, you're still struggling with this idea. Not only is it a Jewish or a Gentile idea, but it's human nature, right? We all think that if you're going to get something, the more valuable it is, the more you have to do for it. Always going to be a string attached. Always something that we've got to do. But that's it. It's those two steps. Confess and believe. But I want to take a closer look at that scripture. I want to take a closer look at Romans 10.9. Again, most of you have seen this a hundred times, a thousand times, okay? If you haven't, it's a great scripture. You'll be seeing more of it. But let's look at it a little bit closer. You know, every now and then I like to pull out Greek. And I like to tell you Greek translations of things. And I don't do it just to, so I can seem smart, although it does that. <laughs> but I usually do it in an instance where the Greek or the Hebrew translation of that word gives you a depth of understanding that we wouldn't have otherwise. Our shallow English language through our even shallower American perspective gives us sometimes a different or an incomplete picture of what Scripture is really trying to say. So I'm going to look at that a little bit closer. So let's look at it. Let's look at the three words, confess, believe, and then let's throw saved in there. What's it mean to be saved? Let's throw that in there too, okay? So here we go. Number one, confess. The word confess in the Greek is pronounced homologeo. Homologeo. And if I'm getting this wrong, if any of you, I know Anne says she knows two words in Greek. That's probably not one of them. But if any of you know Greek, you can correct me later. I'm doing the best I can. Homologeo. Here's what it means. Confess. means to publicly declare full alignment. To publicly declare full alignment. Okay, now I'm not talking about the, the uh, Webster's Dictionary definition. I'm talking about what this translates to in the Greek, okay? Confess, to publicly declare full alignment. With your mouth, mean, it's that translates as rhema. You've heard the word rhema, right? But in this instance, it's a slightly different variation. It means to speak aloud God's revelation. To speak aloud God's revelation. And then the last part is Lord. Confess with your mouth, Jesus, translates as Jesus, is Lord. Is Lord means, is kurios, kurios in the Greek. And it means this, exercising absolute ownership. Exercising absolute ownership. So for somebody in that time and in that place, remember they're in Rome. Who's, who's in charge of Rome? An emperor. Okay, an emperor, and an emperor who does not have a lot of a sense of humor in a lot of cases. There's not a lot of leeway. So if you used that word, so they're saying, Paul is saying, you have to say this out loud. You have to declare that Jesus is Lord. Jesus, kurios, kurios. If a man called Jesus kurios, he was ranking him equal with not only Lord God, but with the emperor. 
And that was a problem. To put somebody on equal footing or above was punishable by death. By speaking the words out loud, Jesus is Lord. Jesus has absolute ownership of me. You're declaring your allegiance to him. And by extension, you're saying, the emperor no longer is my Lord. That's a big thing. Guys, we throw that phrase out, Jesus is Lord. Back then, that could have been a death sentence for them to say those words out loud. I think it's one of the reasons why, Paul's, why they say, you have to say the words. Now, is our sentence death now? No. Not here. But it's powerful to speak those words out loud and to declare them out loud. Going back to the history of the Christian church could have been a death sentence. Let's remember that the next time we say Jesus is our Lord, right? So the translation, my translation, if you put those together, is this. If you publicly declare full alignment with God's revelation that you belong to Jesus Christ, okay, and we'll do the rest of it later. But that's what that means. So let's move on to the next word. Let's move on to believe. Believe in your heart. Believe in your heart. So believe, that word in Greek translates as pisteo. Pisteo, which means in this context, faith derived from God's gift. It's God's gift of faith. That's the believe, God's gift of faith. And your heart, heart is cardia, okay, with a K, cardia, which is in this case referred to as the center of our desires. The place where your desires reside inside your body is your cardia, your heart that Paul's referring to. Okay, so again, the translation of that part is, and if your faith is a result of God's gift placed into the very center of your desires. That's how that translates. So the next one, the last part of this is saved. Again, saved, I think, can be another one of those words that we just throw out. We throw it out. I mean, not, we don't throw it out lightly, but we don't, throw, we, we don't have, I think, the full depth of understanding of what that really means. Saved translates, as a Greek word, sozo, S-O-Z-O. We have a sozo ministry here. Depending on where you see it in the word, it translates as either saved or healed or delivered. It has different context depending on where you find it. Here, it's rescued from destruction. Rescued from destruction. So, Romans 10.9, the PBOB version, which we have on the screen. Uh, it shouldn't say NASB. I, they cannot claim that. But this is simply the PBOB version. Says, if you publicly declare full alignment with God's revelation that you belong to Jesus Christ, and if your faith is a result of God's gift placed into the very center of your desires, you will be rescued from destruction. I don't know about you, but that, me that has a depth of meaning that I've never seen before. But that is exactly what Paul meant to say. It's a gift. You need to declare full alignment with what God has revealed to you. 
God reveals it to you, you declare full, 100% unconditional alignment with that, up to and including the penalty of death. And that desire will be placed into the very center of you, into your very heart. Mm. That's good. That's good. So, so then when Paul writes this, Romans 10.10, it's the very next one. So we have Romans 10.10. 10. I'll just, uh, we don't have that up there. I'm sorry, I'll read it to you. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. What he's doing is he's driving that point home that it's because of God's gift. It'd be easy to look at if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, okay, so I just have to do this and do this. Anytime you put the word do in front of something like that, it tends to make it a work. And Paul is very, very careful to let you know it's not a result of what you're doing. So then he just, he clarifies it there. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With your heart, you just have to believe. And with the mouth he confess, resulting in salvation. It's a gift. It is not because of your resume. It is not because of your heritage. It's not because of anything you know or can quote or how many Bible studies are in. It's nothing to do with that. It is a gift from God that you have simply chosen to accept. You've chosen to accept that gift. And the gift is right there for the asking. It's, it's right there. Romans 10, 13. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord they will be saved. But there's a catch. How many of you are going, I knew it. I knew it. There's always a catch, right? There's always a catch. Here's the catch. It doesn't begin and end with you. Think about this. If salvation was our ultimate goal and that was the final prize and that was it, the moment you gave your heart to Jesus, wouldn't you just go home? Why are we still hanging around here? If you're a believer, why are you still here? We're still here because we have a responsibility to our Lord and Savior Jesus to follow what he asked us to do while we're here. The end goal is not salvation. Not your personal salvation. It's salvation for everyone. That's what we should have. That's the catch, we have a responsibility to the great commission of Jesus. Matthew 28, 19, I'll just read it for those of you who have forgotten it or maybe never knew it. Go therefore, this is Jesus giving his instructions. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's our mission. That's what he told us before he went home for good, till he returns that is. That was the marching orders he left us with. And so when we receive salvation, our job then is to turn and help someone else receive that salvation. That's our job. That's what go and make a disciple means. So the next scripture, I have Romans 10, 14. If you're gonna go and make disciples, you have to tell somebody. You have to tell, you have to share. That's what evangelism is. That's what making a disciple is. You go and you share who Jesus is. And Paul says this, how then will they call in, on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who have, 
in whom they have not heard. And how will they hear without a preacher? In other words, somebody's got to tell them. Some people balance this with scripture that says all of creation testifies to God. Therefore, he doesn't need me. It's all out there. But this is very clearly saying that unless someone shares who Jesus is, what chance do they have of believing in him? We have a part to play. We have a part, a very important part to play in this. That word preacher, how will they hear without a preacher? It's not me standing up here. It can be, but it's also you. That, that word is caruso, and it says to proclaim publicly with conviction. To proclaim publicly with conviction. That's what a preacher is. You are all preachers of the gospel. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are called, commissioned by the Lord himself to be a preacher of the gospel. To publicly declare who he is with conviction. That's your job. So the last scripture I want to share with you here is Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. The word faith there, pistis, faith derived from God's gift. We, we heard that earlier, right? Word is the report of who Christ is. Just the word of who he is. In other words, the gospel. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, when you put this all together, here's what it means. God's gift of faith and salvation are activated by our obedience in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line of this entire message. Let me repeat it to you. God's gift of faith and salvation are activated by our obedience in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Church, that's our job. And so I want to take a moment now. we got a few minutes. I want to take a moment now, and I, I told you we were going to share some testimonies. I want to hear some testimonies from you on a time when you helped to lead somebody to the Lord by sharing the gospel with them. And here's why I want to do this. Because some of you right now are thinking of a time when you did that, but there's a significant number of you who are thinking, I would never do that. I don't know if I can do that. I'm afraid to do that. How many of us, be honest, you don't have to raise hands, I'm not going to ask you to do that, but think to yourself, how many of us are afraid to share the gospel of Jesus publicly? Not with your best friend in a closed, quiet environment or in a coffee shop where you go into the most remote corner so no one else can hear you. Publicly declare who Jesus Christ is. How many of us are afraid to do that? Okay, again, don't raise hands, but I'd be willing to bet that there are many because I talk to people all the time and that's where they are. So let me ask you a question. If fear is the root of why you don't share Jesus, I want to ask you what fear is. What's fear? Fear is a spirit. Okay, we know about the fruits of the spirit, peace, love, patience, kindness, joy, goodness, gentleness, self-control, right? Fear is a spirit. 
Do you think fear is an angel? If it's a spirit and it's not an angel, what's it going to be? It's a demon. That means the demon spirit of fear is speaking to you and saying, don't tell anyone about who Jesus is. Church, do we want to fall for that? Do we want to follow the devil and do we want to do his bidding or do we want to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ to this world? Do we want to share the gospel and do what Jesus himself commanded us to do? Go and make disciples. The choice is ours. So who here has a testimony of sharing Jesus with someone? Okay, one, let's, let's go here and then we'll hand the mic back. I have a little thing called a penny ministry. And I give people these little wheat pennies and I tell them that it's proof positive that God loves them. And for every four people that I give these pennies to, one of them is gonna be crying and telling me thank you so much for what you just did for me. And this is my way to being, being able to being Allowing people to know that God is alive, because he is. He's, he's alive for me. And uh, I'm just going to continue doing it. That's good. That's good. Thank you, George. Sandy? Quite a while ago, I was working uh, at the U.S. Attorney's Office in San Diego. And uh, <clears throat> a friend and I, uh, she was a Christian as well, and... Um, we started talking to our administrative assistant that worked there. She was a, a lady that had never gotten married and everybody said she was married to her job, which was probably true. She just loved her job, you know, and she did, never wanted to leave it. Well, she, she was older and she got sick. I think she had leukemia and she just couldn't work anymore. So my friend and I, we would, we would go to her house and visit with her once in a while, but every time we talked to her about the Lord, she just, this wall would come up. Well, she was really close to dying, and we went, we said, we're going to go one last time, and we're going to try. And we did, and she was in bed. She couldn't move or really say a whole lot, but we tried again, and... We really felt that that was what we were supposed to do. And uh, we never had an answer for a while about what happened. But eventually, somehow, we ended up talking to her brother. And her brother. we asked her brother if she ever did accept Christ. And I, he might have been a Christian. I, I think he might have been. But anyway, he said, yes, she did receive Christ on her deathbed. Oh, that's awesome. We, I'm sure we weren't the only ones talking to her about the Lord. We were just one yeah. of probably others. One of many. That's good. That's good. Who else? It's not the same story, right? Yeah. That's Sandy's story. <laughs> For those of you who know me, you, like, you know I like to travel, and I like to vacation in some pretty nice places. We were in uh, Kaanapali in, in Maui 
a few years back, and uh, we're moving, going down the going down the sidewalks. They have these little wagons on the sidewalk where the people are there are trying to sell you time in a timeshare. And we got to talking to the the young man that was there. And I think we said something like, we will have to pray about this to know the Lord's will. And he asked us at that point, well, how do you, how, how, do you, how would you know that it's the Lord? And I said, you can hear him. You can talk to him. And he says, well, why do you do that? How do you, how do you know how to do that? And I asked him, I says, All right, well, have, have you ever given your life to the Lord? And he said, no. And uh, then, he, then he expressed an interest in doing it. And we led him to the Lord right there. And also at the same time, hooked him up with a church that met in, uh, in the same area so that he, did, he wouldn't have to go very far to uh, get to the services. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Good job. Good job, Jim. Anyone else? Remember that word that you have might be something that encourages somebody in a way that no one else could. I didn't want to share this because it sounds like it's too good to be true, but, um, you know, one of the things I've appreciated about Bob and Gabe is the mission. We were just talking with Andy uh, at the break about this to see needs in our community and to serve this community as an outreach. And I, um, I've been looking for a while for opportunity to volunteer in the community, uh, really uh, through the encouragement of what we have here. And about a year and a half or so ago, I got involved in an organization called Love in the Name of Christ. And they serve people in need. And those needs can be anything uh, from drug addiction to um, abuse relationships to financial stuff like that. And um, uh, it is a Christian organization. And the purpose of helping these people is not to give a handout to them, but to see transformation in their lives. And it's described that way. This is a transformational ministry. And uh, for many of them, they're thinking, well, it's going to help me get on the road to getting a budget and, you know, getting my finance. And that's, that's great. That's really what it is. But, um, but I and the guy that I work for, who's uh, a full-time uh, transformational ministry uh, pastor there um, we have other things in mind because be transformed by the renewing of your mind is what I'm talking about Romans 12 too mm -hmm. and so um, I've had the opportunity just um, handed to me to uh, write some curriculum to teach some classes to these folks who will come really for a meal on a Thursday night and to learn about how God sees them, how valuable they are to be treated by the Love Inc. people as people who are valued and who have potential and who can um, change from where they are to what God would see them to be. Yeah. And so there have been a number of them, and there's no requirement that they're 
believers. Some of them come from churches, but many of them are not believers. And even the ones who come from churches, like uh, I would say in any church, they're very needy people in any congregation who may have lost hope or they're living lives that are kind of flat in terms of what God can do for them. Yeah. And um, so I've seen uh, probably in the last year uh, six or eight people who have, um, um, well, most of them are, are really renewing their hope. They're, they're finally figuring it out that, um, that they really are valuable, that they have a plan and purpose in their lives that they never knew. And uh, for many of those, um, uh, it's just the seeds. For some, yeah. it is coming to faith for the first time. Yeah. So it's really ah, been awesome. a blessing to me. Thank you. Thank you. All right, last one, John. This is just a comment that it doesn't always happen fast. Um, I had a roommate, uh, he's actually the fellow that brought me out from uh, Atlanta, said he had a job for me at Martin Marietta. Um, he knew that I went to church all the way through college, and then, um, but he also knew all the other stuff I did. Um, but we would, when, once we were, actually were rooming together, there were times when we'd just sit and talk late into the night. And as a result of that, over the years, he has come to believe, and he's attending a rather liberal church, but I'm pretty confident that he's got the, he's got the, uh, the belief. He's nice. got the, uh, the faith. So. That's awesome. That Good. Awesome. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. All right. So, yeah, sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes you see it right away. And it doesn't always look the same. We have George who just, in his way, hands out the pennies, and that's kind of an opening to start a conversation. You know, and then we have Jim who's talking to uh, uh, the modern-day equivalent of the lepers, which is a timeshare salesman. <laughs> Sorry if any of you are timeshare salesmen. I apologize. But it looks different for everyone. It looks different for everybody, but it all, it all culminates in the sharing of the gospel, and your obedience is what does that. Okay, so as we go in... Um, we're going to have communion. Worship team's going to come up and play. But just remember, it's the last thing I said before testimonies. God's gift of faith and salvation are activated by our obedience to go out and proclaim the good news of who Jesus Christ is. And then I'll leave you with a question. Are you going to partner with what the devil wants to do in tearing down the work of Jesus? Or... Do you want to partner with Jesus in his ministry and his work in bringing salvation to people who don't know him? That choice is yours. It's not my choice to make for you. It's your choice, but that's the choice I want you to think about. Think about that as we go into worship. Now, we have communion. Again, we've got, I think everybody here knows how we do it, but at the crosses, there's juice, and Gabe and I will serve you up here. We have wine up there. But let's make a commitment or maybe recommit in our hearts to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus, not only to serve our community, but to boldly declare who he is to those people who don't know him. Let's recommit that in our hearts. And then when you're finished with that, anytime you want, feel free to move around and take communion. Thank you, guys.
to be with you for 
Yeah. 